right now. Catherine Robertson's here. Hi, Catherine. Hi, how are you? I'm barely holding on. How's things? Yeah. <laughs> hey, we should do a quick catch-up. Um, last time I saw you was at the uh, Readers and Writers Festival in Hawke's Bay. A series of events down there looked like it was a huge success. It was. Yeah, we were really thrilled. Um, thanks to you guys. Your, your session was pretty much sold out and um, it got so much good feedback about you and Nicola Toki. That was wonderful. But everybody was brilliant. It was such a good combination. And um, thanks to the Hawke's Bay community for turning out you know, in droves because it makes a huge difference to us as a small festival. Yeah, a lot of people were talking about the Emma Espiner, Noel McCarthy session. Yeah. Oh, yes. No, they were both great. And um, Monty Suter, who came yes. last year as well, was um, with Michael Bennett on that Friday night. And he said they're just such gems, all of them. Everybody and, was an absolute and, gem. Yeah, and then I think I flew out before Joe Bennett and uh, Roger Hall. But how Roger was that Hall one? Sold out, absolutely oh packed. They both put it on for the audience. Oh, they're cool. so entertaining. Great. And everybody loved them. Oh, well done for a successful event. And somehow you've... Found some time to read as well and do some exercise, Catherine. <laughs> yeah, um, foolishly, foolishly doing the exercise because I had my COVID booster on Friday and then a friend said, oh, do you want to come and walk to Motor Peak, you know, up the red track? It's a switchback, so it's quite hard. And I went, sure, I could do that. And my oldest son was staying with us. So, you know, we went up there. And um, the moral of the story is don't do the vigorous exercise after you've had your COVID booster because oh, yeah. it makes you feel... Terrible. You n- never quite know how those um, those vaccinations are going to affect you, eh? But people can be quite surprised by how much it takes out of them. Well, it's definitely it's definitely a warning because I remember it like before, but I didn't remember it in time. <laughs> You're halfway up to Mata Peak and you thought, oh, hang yeah. on, I was warned about yeah. this. I did. I had to have a little rest. I was against the hill. I had to put my head against the hill and have a wee rest against the grass. <laughs> oh. Then I was fine. They didn't have to helicopter me out, so that was good news. It's quite tr- There's one part, I don't know if this is the track you walk, but there's quite a tricky narrow trail where you've got yeah. drops on both sides. That's the one. That was where yeah. Victoria, my wife, just froze, and I honestly thought I was going to have to chisel her off the, uh, <laughs> off the, <laughs> off the track. So if you're feeling a bit woozy anyway, that would have been a challenge. Yeah, no, it wasn't the smartest moment, I have to say, but we got there. I got okay. down the other side. So it was all good. <laughs> so you spent Sunday in recovery, huh, and, and hopefully oh, did some reading for us. Absolutely did, and I had a great book to read because I think it was nothing like a crime book, like a good crime book when you need to blob out on the couch on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. Um, and I had uh, The Seven by Aussie writer Chris Hammer, who sort of become, you know, I think his first book was called Scrublands, which I really enjoyed. And he's just pumped them out over the last, you know, what, five years, I think he's done. Um, and he's now become one of Australia's top-selling crime writers. Yeah, Scrublands, I think, is about to come out as a TV show. It's got that New Zealander oh. J-, J. Ryan in it. So this guy's obviously got the knack. Yeah, they're very visual, I have to say. So I can see he was a, he was a journalist and his, one of mm-hmm. his main characters is a journalist. And he sets his um, novels. You know, a bit like Jane Harper with the dry sets his novels in the small farming communities and sort of back of beyond New South Wales. Um, and this one centres on water. So basically the power plays that happen when a handful of wealthy landowning families, in this case it's the seven of the title, have taken control of the water supply by fair means or foul. Um, his books always have a lot going on um, and this one has three interlinked storylines. There's a present day murder uh, and then there's a murder and disappearance 30 years earlier and then from 1913 we have the letters of a Wiradjuri woman to her mother and um, and they're of course all interlinked and it mm. all comes together how they how they um, you know connect 
Uh, Hammer doesn't, I found with Scrublands, particularly the first one, I mean, it's his debut, he doesn't always tie up the loose ends yeah. satisfactorily, but this one's pretty good. And one thing about him, and I don't, I don't, I've never heard anybody else mention this, but honestly, he gives his characters the weirdest names. <laughs> Does he? Well, it's just, I don't know whether it's because his name's Chris Hammer or something, he goes, okay, that's a little bit odd, but, yeah. you know, like one of them's called Atoll Hasluck. And that's, you know, he's a murder victim, and one's called... Um, Oh, Alice Fig Tree. And it's almost <laughs> as like he looks browned and goes, What can I see? I can see a fig tree. Right, okay. It's kind of a, yeah, that's my name. Yeah. How do you name your characters, Catherine? Oh, I decide on their personality first and then I kind of try and find something that matches that. Oh, yeah. And also try not to have too many characters with the same initial because otherwise people get confused. Yes, so that's that might be great. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, because Chris Hammer, like in his previous, with Martin Skarsden, the journalist, um, the girlfriend that he ends up marrying is called Mandalay Blonde. So, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> kind of not forgettable, you do remember. Okay, so that's um, that sounds like a bit of a page turner, that one, is it? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. It was really good. He's a clever, you know, he's a clever writer. He's a really good plotter. The characters are great, and he has enough kind of human interest and, uh, and that social kind of commentary as well. So, yeah, I really like them. That's the seven. Then you've got a memoir for us. Yeah. Well, Helen Lendorf came to the Hawksay Festival as well, and she did a writer's workshop um, as well as talked with Pip Cameron. Um, and I first encountered Helen a few years ago because she uh, came out with a beautiful collection of poetry called The Comforter. And a lot of it is about nature and sort of living with nature. And if you follow her social media posts, you can tell. I mean, she's what I would call a practical nature lover. Yeah. So she's very intent on making the most of, you know, the natural world that surrounds us. Um, and this memoir is entitled A Forager's Life, uh, Finding My Heart and Home in Nature. Um, and it is dedicated to the weeds. <laughs> it says romp on, you know, little guys or something like that. It's very, very sweet. <laughs> romp on green things. Yeah. And uh, I should so, I should say she was on with us um, in conversation a few months ago. If anyone's oh, interested in um, brilliant and looking up, yeah, um, yeah. In particular, weaved into this is the story of her son's diagnosis uh, with autism. That's that's entirely right. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, nature is at the heart of everything here, and she includes recipes for food and for medicines. And she uses all the things that you can just gather that would people would consider weeds, so like dandelions, gorse blossoms, thistles, nettles. Um, and she grew up in Waitara and Taranaki, and her parents, both of them, gave her an appreciation for the wild and for thrifty living. And the book follows her overseas and back again, and sort of as she forms her political leanings as well as her foraging expertise. And again, you know, and then sort of, you know, she, she marries quite young, has her first baby quite young, and then her second child is again, you know, is diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Um, and she has to, they have to navigate that as well. But in every case, it just shows how nature weaves into all the aspects of her life and yeah. potentially everyone's, you know, relationships, parenting, community, how it brings people together, how it can heal, you know, literally as well as emotionally. Um, and it really gives purpose. So it's a really, gorgeous book. I loved reading it. It's very thoughtful, it's funny, it's inspiring, and I think I am going to have a go at, because I've got quite a lot of dandelions in my mm-hmm. lawn, of toasting the dandelion roots and doing things with that. You can, yeah. Helen Lendorf, A Forager's Life, and finally, uh, an historical, historical. novel. Yeah. yeah, this is a debut, um, or debut, I never know how to pronounce it. Um, this is 
called The Season Wife. Um, and the author is a former award-winning journalist uh, called Sage, with an I, not to be confused with the herb, England. Um, so this is set in 1832, and it's basically the story of two young women. Um, there's Bridie, who was forced to travel from Ireland to Australia uh, with her transported convict ma- mother. Um, and when the novel opens, her mother's just died, and Bridie's only 15, and she's essentially abducted by a whaling ship captain, Robbie Fitch, who is a nasty piece of work. And his ship is bound for New Zealand, where he intends to hunt more than whales and seals. And I won't say more than that, because that's part of the story. Uh, so they land in the South Island in quite a remote place. And in the closest Maori village is the other young woman, Manaya. And she has visions that warn her of the threat, the immediate threat and the potential larger threat of the Pākehā coming. But it doesn't stop her from also being pulled into uh, Captain Fitch's control. And they get really, um, you know, because they're outnumbered with the men um, and it doesn't seem like any way that they can escape. Uh, so again, it's a really, it's a very, it's an exciting book. Um, the style is very poetic. It's very lyrical, and I really like the way that um, that England plays around with the language and the syntax and things. Sort of, it's almost like you're, you know, you're listening to conversation um, and or like Irish song or something like that. It's really cool, and she it uses it really well to create atmosphere and tension and to build the characters' voices, which is really impressive actually for her first first novel. Yeah, is it um, obviously it's set in New Zealand part of it's set in New Zealand, is it a New Zealand book? Yes, it is a New Zealand book, Mm. yes, yes, Sage England is um, um, from a Christchurch writer and uh, but obviously has, I think, has drawn on a lot of uh, Irish heritage as well Um, and because it does feel, it does feel like a very sort of, you know, Bridie as the Irish character does feel extremely authentic and the parallels, of course, are drawn between you know Irish losing their land to the colonisers as well as the mm-hmm. Maori, who in this book are only just starting to be colonised. Um, so, and she draws that comparison subtly, doesn't hammer at home. It's really, it's really good. Hey, great recommendations, Catherine Robertson. Thank you so much. No worries. See that, you soon. Uh, latest one was the Season Wife by Sage England. Before that, A Forager's Life by Helen Landorf, and the Seven by Chris Hammer.